what is this? No, I think this is fine too. Welcome to the second episode of the Media Studied Podcast. Nirvana, did you ever think we would make it this far? Well, I'm delighted that we, 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 we are recording the second episode. I wasn't quite sure how things will work, how people will react. I hope uh, uh, we attract more audience. And I think we're doing something slightly different. And we're providing a different platform, a different uh, uh, ideas from, uh, from both sides of the Atlantic. And I'm really looking forward. Yeah, we, we want to thank all of our listeners out there. We posted our first episode uh, on election coverage. We got some nice feedback. Uh, and we, of course, uh, like anybody who, who's, who's speaking publicly, uh, we would like more feedback. Uh, the best way to do that is, is to probably hit us up on Twitter. At uh, Media Studied is my account. Uh, and uh, I am Professor Matt Sinkowitz from Boston College. I'm joined by Nirvana Mahmoud, joining us from the UK. So hit us up on Twitter, um, and we have a Facebook page actually uh, now as well. It's uh, Facebook slash Media Studied. Uh, Nirvana, I want to get into a, a, a topic today that should be near and dear to your heart. I think uh, you're both a person who can theorize it, but, but uh, also somebody who actually does it. I want to talk about alternative media. And... This is tricky. Uh, you know, part of what we do on this on this podcast is try to kind of break down preconceptions of uh, ideas about media, about how media should work. Uh, and I think we hear the phrase alternative media all the time, but it's it's kind of hard to put your finger on exactly what it is. Um, I think that to a certain extent, you know it when you see it. For example, I think that your blog, Nirvana, is alternative media. Would you agree to that? Yes, definitely. Okay, so we've got to start. We're going to have a guest on today, uh, Benjamin Dixon of The Benjamin Dixon Show, and he, he does what I think uh, also is clearly alternative media. But that said, it is hard to define exactly what it is. Uh, Nirvana, would you, would you allow me to offer some ideas about definition and let me know what you think? Please. So, uh, you know, I don't think there's a single definition to alternative media. I don't think there is, uh, you can say it's this and this and this. Uh, I do think you can uh, describe ways in which media can be alternatives and note that in different contexts, different aspects of, of being alternative are what seem to matter. So, for example, in the United States, the biggest dichotomy, the biggest division that we have between media, at least in my mind, uh, is corporate versus not corporate media. So in the United States, if you want to say that you're alternative or independent, often you're, you're somehow distancing yourself from big corporate media. So that, that's, I think, a good starting point for America. But it's really important, and, and Nirvana, you can help us with this, to note that in other parts of the world, it could be very different. So if you look in, in, in numerous places, uh, you'll see that it's not, it's not being uh, free from corporate control that makes something alternative. It's being free from government control. In other areas, it's being uh, free from religious institutions. Uh, I think you could also say that there are contexts, both in America and outside, where we define alternative media as being against mainstream political discourse. So that's something we can get into today as well. Uh, and lastly, I, I would say that particularly in the West, there's some sense that uh, mainstream media is inherently perhaps Eurocentric. It tends to look at the world from a European point of view. It tends to be patriarchal. It looks at the world through a male point of view. And anything that kind of bucks against those trends, I also think, in different contexts, can be considered alternative media. What are your thoughts, Nirvana? What, when I say alternative media, do, do those ideas make sense? Do other things come to mind? Yes, uh, I, I, 
absolutely. I, I agreed with all that, to be frankly honest. And I, I just sums it up to say it's an attempt to, to reform access to the media and offer platform to many sideline segments of the public. So basically, whether you are in America, um, uh, uh, if you are an outside of the corporate environment and want to say something slightly different, then you start your own blog or your own YouTube channel. Uh, if you would, if you are in the Middle East and you don't want government control, again, you do the same thing. However, it, it it didn't work that way. It, it it started to become. It was an attempt to deregulate media, but it, it ended up in somehow uh, become a, a sort of anarchism in the media, uh, poisons in a way. Okay, are you are you speaking specifically about the Middle East? Uh, in I think it's uh, it's actually in general. I ca- I mm. can argue the same for America. To be frankly honest, with Trump trolls. Right. So I think I think what you're arguing is that, uh, you know, we did start off, I, I think, many of us, uh, particularly, and, and of course, uh, given that we're recording this in, in May uh, of, of 2016, it's going to be hard not to talk about the elections in the United States and Donald Trump's recent uh, ascension to, to being the presumptive nominee. Uh, I, I do think there there's a common sense that, that said, you know, going into this election, that mainstream media was a problem, uh, that the corporate particularly in America, that corporate media allowed a very limited window of discussion, that you mm-hmm. couldn't be too far left and, and you, you could be a little further right, but you sort of had to stay in the bounds, uh, and that this was a, a problem. And so we really uh, fetishized alternative media, right? You, you've read tons of articles about how Twitter and uh, Facebook and blogs and all these other things are going to change political discourse. I think what you're arguing, Nirvana, is it. it it in fact has changed political discourse, uh, but alternative doesn't necessarily mean um, uh, more honest. It doesn't necessarily mean more interesting. It certainly doesn't necessarily mean more likely to lead to informed citizenry. Is that is that kind of what you're getting at? Absolutely, absolutely. Because I mean, media, main media is overregulating itself. But alternative media have liberalized itself to a degree that some are exploiting it. Some mm. are willing to pass um, false information or twisted information or uh, a package of semi-facts and facts and uh, assumptions. Mm. And it's very, very, very difficult to differentiate and very difficult to know the truth. I, I really love, actually, the distinction that I think you're drawing out. So I named all these sort of uh, these different structures against which media could be alternative, corporate, government, religious, political, and so on. What, what you seem to be saying is alternative media uh, is anything which is trying to get out of institutional boundaries. Correct. And it sounds good, right? It sounds so good that something should get out of institutional boundaries. But uh, whenever that happens, right, as you say, that, that there, or as you, you alluded to, uh, there are these old standing uh, – another way to put it, institutions develop in, in part for a reason. Partially they develop to keep the powerful in, in power, but also partially they develop because certain things actually work. Right, certain things uh, uh, prove effective in keeping society running, uh, and I think what you're saying is that the the complete uh, sort of move to the other side, the rejection that any institutional control uh, is a good thing, has brought us to a media sphere that is very alternative, uh, but really dangerous. 
indeed it's like a wonderland it's falsehood land uh, which i'm not saying all of it but i'm saying you will have to be careful about what you read you will have to verify it uh, and check several uh, several tweets or several facebook accounts or several blogs to try to know the truth not everybody have the time to do that not everybody is willing to do that because mm. pe- people human being usually pick what suits them what, the news which uh, uh, work well with their ideological belief, and they are not willing sometimes to challenge it. So, so really, what you're, you're offering here, and we, we, I think what we need to do in part is work through and see if there's a third option. But you seem to be kind of picturing a world of media uh, in which, on the one hand, we can have institutional control, and those institutions might be corporate, they might be government, they might be religious. Uh, and that might bring with it uh, limitations and blind spots and biases, uh, but at least we'll kind of understand the process by which they vet things. Or we can have uh, this realm of alternative media where we don't have to worry necessarily about corporate control. We don't necessarily have to worry about government control, but there's not much in the way of replacements for those institutional vetting systems that these, these older mainstream legacy media have. Indeed, I agree with all that. But however, I don't think we can go back in time. Right. Alternative media is now here to stay. And we have to accept it with its as a baggage, which is good or bad. What we can do is to try to improve it without regulating too much. But I don't think we can go back and just hope that traditional media... Uh, overcome or override or dominate again. I think it's too late for that. Yeah, no, I, I think to a certain extent that's that's true, and that's probably a good thing. Um, insofar as uh, I tend to be sympathetic with with both sides of of your argument here, uh, that uh, the the restrictive nature of institutional media is something that needs to be uh, gotten away from, but that this approach that we seem to be dealing with now is 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 uh, too far on the other side. The question is whether or not. Uh, so there's two ways of fixing the problem you described, right? The problem that you described, Nirvana, is that uh, there is a ton of information coming from a ton of perspectives, which is a good thing. Uh, but for one, the factual nature of that information is really hard to be be sure of. Um, and secondly, I think implicitly, if uh, it becomes hard to have discussions, even if we, we agreed on facts, when, when uh, there's nothing in the way of unifying the way we discuss those facts, that also can be a problem. There, there's two, to my mind, two potential solutions to that that situation. Uh, one would be to hope that that a new form of media develops somewhere in the middle, perhaps something that develops new institutional standards that are transparent, that are uh, more or less understandable, but that also are not under the control of big corporations and governments. The second option would be to have people you know, sort of understand media differently, right? You could either change the, the, the way that it's produced, or we could perhaps have a hope that listeners and viewers and readers, you know, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, whatever, will develop a style that allows them to account for the fact that those old institutional vetting measures aren't there. Do you have any faith in people, uh, be they in the Middle East, be they in the West, uh, in America? Do you have any faith that people can become critical enough media consumers to deal with the unvetted nature of alternative media? I do have faith in people. However, I feel people need most the vast majority of people joining alternative media, whatever you call it, is uh, is not after twist. Is they are just human beings who are eager to know more. Uh, 
But we need to help them to vet things better. And I think that's a rule for the academics, for the followers, for the people who monitor social media. Maybe they can produce a, a monthly summary, a, a report to try to tell Twitter or Facebook what things went wrong, especially with the trendy news, mm. uh, whatever it is. And slowly, by evolution, we will reach some consensus about or some new tools that can help us. I can't think of something at the moment, but I can feel, I really feel that a lot of people will need some support. There are people who monitor social media for a living. This is their job. Mm -hmm. And I feel we can help those people to, or we can attract those people to produce more rather than just keep it within academic file just for elite discussion. I right. think that's need to become to the public. Yeah, no, I've actually written written some of this. So uh, as, as I mentioned off the top, I'm a, I'm a professor. I work at Boston College sure. uh, in the United States. And I, I've done a lot of writing that, that bears upon this. And of course, I'm guilty of what you just said, right? Uh, oh. My writing is mostly for people at universities. Uh, I have written fairly... Sorry, Matt, I didn't mean it that no, way. No, <laughs> I, plead, I plead so guilty, but I... I, I uh, I will at least say that's part of why I want to do this uh, this podcast, uh, and that's part of why I wanted my host to be somebody like yourself who who is working uh, directly in the media, not just talking to to other people in tweed jackets like I do. Uh, I will say uh, some of the things I've I've written about really speak similarly to 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 what you're saying. Uh, particularly, I, I've written some stuff about the way in which wars are covered, uh, particularly in Syria and in Ukraine, and how important it is that institutions develop that stand in the middle of the people who are taking citizen journalism videos and tweets and all these things and the mainstream news outlets. There are people who spend a lot of time making sure that those videos are real, uh, making sure that uh, they match up to the dates and to the events uh, and that they're not being manipulated in various ways uh, in these sort of like really charged activist kind of uh, driving moments, we, we get this. I, I describe this in, in, in an article I wrote as the interpreter tier. And, and sometimes an interpreter tier emerges, uh, like, again, w with regards to a war or something like that. But I think what you're saying is that we kind of need something similar to that on a day-to-day -day level. We need sort of a meta critic. We need, we need somebody who uh, looks at, at uh, you know, the trends on Twitter, not just to get clicks, but looks at those trends to try to uh, look at their origins, tries to understand where they're coming from. Uh, I, 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 that could develop, no? I mean, the problem with it is it's hard to see how somebody gets paid for it, right? Where the money would come from. One of the things, main media... I start to recover from the uh, the avalanche or the domination of alternative like Twitter and Facebook. All main, main media now have Twitter account, have Facebook account, have live conversation on Facebook, have uh, sometimes release uh, thing, uh, videos on YouTube. And believe it or not, a lot of people, when they are confused about the truth, especially like in the Middle East, when the facts of wars uh, and the propaganda mixed together, mm -hmm. go back to what Reuters said or what AP said about particular battle in particular part of the Middle East. So I believe main media have an asset they can help. They have uh, interest of marketing their own work, but they can be. To be the, they are still the most trusted, at mm. least with certain facts, and they can help in in that cooperation. 
I hope in the future. Yeah, no, I think that's crucial. I think it, it, it is absolutely crucial that, that one, we do keep institutions that give clear markers of respectability and re- reliability. Nobody's ever 100%, but the the fact is you you don't want every time you read something to have to, uh, you know, Wikipedia it and figure out what this institution is and who they pay, who they're paid for or by and all these different things. But those institutions also need to embrace uh, uh, the the expense, I think, of dealing with the, the chaos of alternative media. Um, and if you include in your definition of alternative media, just, you know, the terabytes of videos that emerge whenever a news story takes place, uh, that is is part of the story that can make for great journalism. But it, somebody needs to spend the time to vet it, to to look at it closely. And I think uh, main media institutions, partially because they're suffering so much financially, don't don't necessarily have the resources uh, to do the, the sort of synthetic work of putting together all this alternative media and, and running it through the institutional vetting processes that have worked for them for so long. So hopefully mainstream institutions will be able to do this. But one of the problems, and this will be, I, I, I'm sure, We'll discuss this uh, in future episodes uh, in addition to this one. One of the main problems is we want media to do things that are not necessarily profitable. Like me and you, the way we talk, right? What we want from media, uh, we want posi- what, what, what economists call positive externalities, mm-hmm. right? We want, we want public goods. We want things. And, and there's an economic problem because who's going to pay for them? You know, I think some people will, politician maybe will want to pay, to pay for this. I cannot suggest something of, uh, you know, without thinking about it. But I know, and you're sitting in the UK where you can kind of get away with that a little bit. You've got the tradition of the BBC. Uh, in America, it's very tough to put forth the idea that anything in the way of, of public funding would be put towards uh, uh you know, uh, some sort of system of of improving overall American media. It's just not the way that we do it here, at least. Of course, of course. But, uh, but I mean, part of it, let's face it, it's about America image. It depends on however uh, the next president will will be interested in foreign poli- uh, policy, interested in improving America vi- uh, image, uh, in- interesting in the overall um you know how media is addressing the entire world because now it's a matter of exploitation and i don't want to rush into the presidential election but i will tell you something uh, <laughs> over the last uh, uh, six months or so i didn't see clinton trolls i didn't see bernie sanders trolls i i saw supporters mm-hmm. not trolls i didn't see ted cruz trolls but i saw a lot of trump trolls and they seem to have worked is the implication there. Absolutely. And uh, if, if, if anything Trump bring, uh, brought to the system is a shock. If mm. you got, what you're talking about is not profitable, hey, it, bring in some, it can bring someone to the White House. A week ago, it would have been hard for me. I, I would say, well, we'll see what happens right now. I, I don't think Donald Trump will be winning this general election, but but certainly, you know, once you're on the ballot, once once you've got the the Republican Party name next to you, you've got a chance. Uh, the, the there's an interesting article that that you brought to my attention uh, from the New York Times and the the opinion pages uh, called "Adventures in the Trump Twitter Sphere." 
Uh, it's by, and I'll get this name wrong. I'm so sorry. Zainab uh, Tufeki. Uh, I, I'm not sure how to say it. How would you say that name, Nirvana? Well, we say it in Arabic. It is Tafakshi. Uh, it's a uh, But I could be wrong. Uh, it's a, one of the legacy of the Ottoman Empire. And um, uh, it, it was a common name. We, we, we mm. are familiar with her surname in Egypt. Uh, it's very popular. Uh, in fact, it's one in, in one of the uh, in one of the plays uh, in our theatrical plays in the 60s and it's one of the golden plays so we remember mm. the name very well 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 we want to thank Z- Zainab uh, for writing this really great article which we'll, we'll, we'll link to on the SoundCloud page uh, and uh, and apologize if we got her name wrong so the general thesis there are a few theses and, and they might relate a bit to your personal experience Nirvana because she's talking uh, also about an, an immigrant experience uh, in, in the United States uh, yes. but one of the really interesting quick but powerful points she makes is that we spend a lot of time talking about how mainstream media bungled this election cycle by giving so much attention to Trump, by treating his uh, his awfulness as uh, as uh, like uh, features as opposed to uh, as opposed to bugs, right? As opposed to evidence of him being a defunct person. Uh, when he said something insane about Muslims, we we it just became uh, clickbait. It became a uh, something to draw in ratings. And so places like MSNBC and Fox and CNN, who have interviewed Trump over and over again, take a lot of the blame. And what the the author of this piece argues is that that. That, you know, okay, there's certainly blame to be put there. But if you're actually on alternative media or Twitter, which I would call a venue for alternative media more than alternative media on its own, if you're actually on there, you see it's not the the, the people who seem to be the strongest uh, supporters don't seem to be terribly affected by MSNBC or CNN. They're affected by these conspiracy theories and these sort of like really out there ideas that gain serious traction online, on Twitter, in the alternative sphere. And instead of blaming CNN, although we can certainly blame Wolf Blitzer and that, that'll never bother me. Um, but instead of focusing just on that, let's look at what's new and what might explain the change and the fact that these crazy conspiracies float around and get retweeted and get stamped with like semi strange uh, approval by public figures. What do you think of this thesis, Nirvana? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I read this article and it, it was so overwhelming. I related, I, I follow her on Twitter well before that article and I like what she writes. Uh, but uh, what she wrote in this particular piece really hit home. It's about the Trump eco shamba. It, it, it was just fascinating. I felt it every day. You just put the hashtag Trump and you will see uh, uh, all the trolls. And if you reacted to anything Trump said, you will see a barrage of trolls are coming at you and trying to challenge your views and trying to tell you how wrong you are in fact when I put the the first uh, our first podcast when I put it on my Facebook community page within a minute uh, I found a Trump supporter have uh, sent me um, a, a link to one of his rallies speech hmm. uh, and it was just like I was so impressed how quickly <laughs> Yeah, I was, I was, I was kind of proud of us, and, proud of us, and impressed by them, right? Who, I mean, how long? Who, who, who had listened to it even by then? Uh, it, it is, it is absolutely amazing how, how, how much, uh, how quickly momentum can develop with this sort of thing. Exactly, and I'm not saying I'm impressed with his views. I'm impressed. No, no, with no, no, no. no. <laughs> right, with right. But I will tell you one thing. She said, and it's very. Uh, this is the bit which is more important. She she wrote that Trump doesn't only speak outrageous falsehood. He also voiced truths 
uh, outside the Overton window. And the mm. Overton window is what you mentioned, what, how the journalists act as a gatekeepers for what should be discussed on media and what shouldn't. Mm-hmm. And, and she said he, he put mix. It's not just lies and outrageous conspiracy theory. He says some truths. And when I listened to the video, that particular troll added to my Facebook page, I can see what she is talking about. Yes, he, 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 he really banged a lot about a lot of conspiracy. But he said things which I thought is worth discussing. Right. And I don't want to look as if I'm offering Clinton or Bernie Sander a free advice. But I, if, I, if I am in, a, in the Clinton campaign, I will advise her not just to dismiss Trump as a, uh, as a flawed character. She has to listen to what he say and her team have to really filter the part of the truth he is uh, offering or he is discussing or he is challenging. And she should challenge, uh, address that and, count, and offer a counter solution. Otherwise, uh, I don't think it's, you know, it would be very tough election for her. No, I think I think that's right. And I think it, it ties in really nicely to where we've been going with this discussion. Uh, the idea that there are these old institutional firewalls when it comes to media and that those firewalls, in fact, do bring a lot of benefits uh, in terms of understanding where things are coming from, understanding the context of a discourse, but they also restrict our ability to discuss a bunch of things. And so part of what, what Trump has done with his alternative media is blow past those restrictions, both in the sense that that we uh, no longer have the, the security of having some understanding of where uh, things are coming from, but also in that we get to talk about things we used to not be able to talk about. And so I, I think that, that it's a, that's a nice way of understanding understanding alternative media, both as a definition and in terms of a potential uh, benefit to society or drawback. Uh, We're going to take a quick break. We're going to have an interlude uh, in which I have a a, a very, um, well, for me personally, disappointing discussion uh, with James Miller, a a journalist who will be appearing on the show every so often. Uh, After me and James have our our quick discussion, uh, we'll come back with our guest for today's show, Benjamin Dixon. And it is my very humbling pleasure to bring on to the Media Study Podcast for the first time, for just a brief interlude, uh, James Miller. Uh, welcome to the uh, to the show, James. Oh, thank you for having me, Matt. You, yeah, I can hear in your voice just the the the, the pleasure. Uh, so James and I used to have a, a podcast uh, called the Interpreter Podcast, um, which is available on iTunes if you want to want to check it out and uh, and see what that was about. But uh, in addition to the main thrust of the show, which was really talking about Russian politics, we also speculated, played some games with American politics, uh, and we did a little draft where uh, we predicted how long different candidates would remain in the GOP race. And uh, when we were done drafting, I was extremely confident in my victory. Yes. Did I win, Jim? No, no. no. Uh, I, I think you you lost on kind of like almost every count. It was it was bad. It was bad. So I so so uh, uh, this is uh, we we did this draft on November sixteenth, twenty fifteen, and uh, I'll very quickly go through the the draft order. Uh, I believe you began, Jim. Jim picked Trump, and I just I was I was just mocking him for this in my head. I say, oh, I've got him now. I picked Rubio. 
because uh, he was the establishment uh, guy. And then I picked Cruz because my thought was when the Fiorinas and the and the Ben Carsons disappeared, then all that that would come over to Cruz. James picks Carson and Fiorina. I pick Jeb, who I think is a, a great sleeper at this point, and Huckabee because I thought that he would just be sticking around to, to get more names for his mailing list. Uh, and then uh, 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 Jim took Paul and Kasich. Who I said, I mean, it seemed Kasich just had no lane whatsoever. It seemed like he was behind Jeb and behind Rubio in line for uh, the, I guess, the sanity vote or whatever. Uh, then I took Christie. Uh, so Jim ended up with Kasich and Trump. Really, I ended up with just basically Ted Cruz, uh, and and uh, and of course that came to an end this week. Uh, How did you know, Jim? Well, so uh, first of all, I had very little confidence in Jeb Bush, and this is the the first and most important thing. You know, look, I, I've been a campaigner um, in in a deeply, deeply red pocket of of Massachusetts, and um, and I really I thought Trump was going to win the nomination. You know, I I was convinced that um, that his brand of Republicanism. Um, is actually the populist brand of republicanism that is out there at the moment, and I thought he was gonna pull it off. And um, and you know, I I had no confidence that that Jeb would ever recover. And you know, with Jeb out, it, the only real chance in my mind for this sort of establishment Republican vote would be Rubio. But the thing is, Rubio is really not this moderate. Um, I, I think Rubio is is really a radical in any other election cycle. He would be looked at as this sort of upstart Tea Party radical guy. Um, and so I figured that Rubio was just not going to work out. And um, and you know, so then I picked Kasich because I figured that that Kasich actually. Um, was a a real uh, I, I I was always really impressed by his by his candidacy by his presentation and I I figured that he would stick in the race for ideological reasons because once it was just left to the more radical elements of the Republican Party Kasich would stay in on a principled uh, on a principled matter and and say you know somebody has to stay in this race um, and so I I didn't think he would be the last person to drop out of the race um but um but there you go there you have yeah. it no so so i've got a few theories i'm trying to deconstruct my loss here uh one um i did not realize that john Kasich thought that God told him he was going to be Abraham Lincoln, uh, which apparently is like more or less true. Uh, so that that's a good reason to stay in the race. If if I will grant that if God talked to me today and said I was going to be the next Abraham Lincoln, I would hang on to the bitter end as well. I did not know that at the time. Uh, the other theory that I have of this case is that you spend your time uh, covering Russia which means that you are looking at the success of Vladimir Putin every day. And uh, you might well have been the best person to uh, to decide whether or not Donald Trump uh, had a political strategy that could work, uh, as I see more than a few uh, overlaps in, in mentality and self-aggrandizement between those two figures. Oh, totally. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, no, but it's true. And, and, you know, I spent a lot of time, you know, looking at the media, not, not from an academic, heady point of view, uh, not from an informed point of view, but from just sort of a desperation for it to be better point of view. 
and uh, and I was convinced that you know with all that free publicity, um, you know Trump was in it for the long haul, and uh, and here we are. Yeah, here here we are. You want you want to go double double or nothing and uh, and, and stick with Trump for the general? Oh no way, no. You know, <laughs> okay, and, good. And, that's good because you, you seem to be right about these things. So good. You know, and I, I will say that you know I got a lot of pushback from people when I've said this. Oh yeah, but you know people have been doubting Trump all along. Well, you know, as you know, I wasn't doubting Trump. I thought I thought he would win the Republican nomination. But that said, I think that you know if you look the at the electoral map, you know, there's a lot of swing states that are very narrow in margin. Um, that Obama won twice, and I, I think he won them in 2012 with a weak hand. Um, you know, Mitt Romney was a much better candidate. So, you know, all it all it takes is um, you know is 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 a few thousand voters in some of these places. You know, Republican voters to not vote. You know, and, and remember, every, every Republican who votes for Hillary Clinton, that is a double win. Um, so, um, you know, I, yeah, I look at the demographic map, I think Florida, I think Virginia, um, you know, definitely Ohio, you know, these places are just going to go blue. And, um, and then, you know, and then I look at, uh, at, at some other places that I think could be in play that haven't been in play before because of the Hispanic vote. Um, so, you know, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see. Um, I think a Trump, presidency would be disastrous but i'm not i'm not saying that trump's gonna lose just because i'm hopeful um that he'll lose i i I think he will right okay well uh we will have you back on as a main guest sometime soon and uh perhaps we can also uh find other other games like this one to play where uh i can feel uh good about myself for a few months and then feel bad both about myself and the nature of the universe a few months later uh so uh thanks for joining us jim and uh we'll be coming back in a moment with our guest for today which uh who is uh benjamin dixon of the benjamin dixon show and welcome back to the Media Studied Podcast. Uh, I'm still here with Nirvana Mahmoud, but we are very happy to be joined by our guest for today's episode, Benjamin Dixon of The Benjamin Dixon Show. How are you, Ben? I'm doing great, Matt. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, thanks for coming on. Um, this is, uh, we're, we're very excited to talk to you, uh, partially because you, you are uh, uh, somebody who just has a, a really successful uh, show that tries to do some of the things that we do. So I want to kind of steal, steal some of your ideas by talking to you, <laughs> see, see how you do it. Uh, but also because you fit today's topic beautifully. Uh, we, we spent the first segment of today's show trying to discern what alternative media is. And of course, that's, it's tough to define, right? But to a certain extent, I know it when I see it. And so Nirvana has a blog about the Middle East, and I know that this is alternative media, and then I can work backwards to say why that is. I listen to The Benjamin Dixon Show, which is both a podcast and a YouTube live stream. Uh, It's a political talk show with news and opinion about the United States. And when I listen to this show, I think, now this is alternative media. And and basically, uh, just to flatter you uh, (laughs) somewhat uncomfortably, it's it's the right kind of alternative media, I think. I really like it. So... You know, do you think of yourself as alternative media? I guess that's the first question. Um, I think, yeah. I mean, yeah, clearly yes, because um, I'm bringing a news and commentary from uh, uh, my own platform. So it's alternative, if for no other reason, that it's independent and it's definitely outside of the mainstream. Mm. So yeah, we, we you know we kind of went through some ideas. Uh, you know, alternative meaning alternative to corporate control, mm-hmm. uh, alternative to government control, which in in the Middle East, for example, can be be a concern. In, uh, not in all cases, but in many. Uh, 
some uh, having freedom from religious or political parties. Or uh, I also mentioned, you know, uh, there is a notion that uh, particularly in the West, media tends to be really Eurocentric and patriarchal. Um, you know, sort of a, a, a European white worldview tends to permeate. And so I think you sort of go against all of these uh, these these things, pushing us in new directions. Uh, can, you, can you tell us a little bit just about how you started the show, why you started the show, why you thought we need a show uh, like yours? I'm going to be honest with you. When I started, I, I delayed starting because I felt like there wasn't a need for anything more. I mm. felt like it was um, so saturated, particularly the YouTube um, medium. I felt it was too saturated with too many voices and, you know, I would just be another voice lost in the sea of, of YouTube. Mm. Um, but um, my my younger brother uh, was staying with me for the holidays uh, two years ago or a year and a half ago and he we were talking about politics and he just insisted. He was like, you absolutely have to do a show you have to you have to speak and simultaneously there was a um a guy who had a, a internet radio show who was encouraged me to do the same so i was like you know what the heck all right so maybe maybe i have something to say i don't know but i'm just going to give it a shot um so i didn't come into it thinking that you that my voice was needed i just came into it with a whole lot to say and uh it became cathartic a lot of people ask me uh how how is it that i do all the things that i do and still do the show at night it's because if i wasn't doing the show at night i'd be pissed off somewhere with something to say and nowhere to say it mm. no i mean and and oh, nirvana i feel the same everybody there is loads of blogs about the middle east and why i should write something and nobody will bother to read mm -hmm. so my question to you how you marketed your uh, youtube channel or your podcast initially um initially there was no marketing um, there was just sharing basically, you know, of course, sharing on social media, you know, tweeting about it and um, and just sharing on Facebook, but no real um, marketing strategy. And as I started building it out, I started putting pieces of some inbound marketing strategies to attract people to uh, writing. You know, um, I, I think I'm a better writer than I am a, a, a TV show or YouTube host. And so I started to do a lot of writing and people started finding me through my writing. Um, and then... Um, um, then the elections came around and I finally found my footing in terms of exactly, you know, sometimes you have things you want to talk about, but once you get in front of that microphone, it doesn't work out that way. And it took me about six months to finally come full circle to talk about the things that I want to talk about. And that's um, American politics, presidential elections, congressional elections. And it was just good timing um, with, with the election that was coming up. And it just everything kind of fell into place. Now, when it started falling into place, then I started to actually organize my marketing efforts, um, you know, running some ads here and there on Facebook to tell people a little bit more about me. Um, um, Twitter really exploded for me. Uh, it became another platform where I didn't have to write and sit down and write for three hours to get an article out. I was able to just blast out my thoughts really quickly, and that started propelling the show a whole lot quicker. Now, Benjamin, you describe your show as a progressive show. It's uh, mm -hmm. you, you, you talk about your listeners as the progressive army. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Now, to a certain extent, this fits our narrative. Uh, the idea that there was sort of a, a, an institutional form of media which was hemmed in, that could only have a certain breadth of discussion, uh, it could only go so far left and a little bit further right and no more than that. And then right. there's a narrative that new media and alternative media formats and, and, and ways of getting your word out uh, expand that and uh, mm -hmm. that 
gives people like you an opportunity. So if, if that progressive worldview was too far to the left for the legacy media, now there's a, a space for you. But along with this comes a narrative, and I'm perfectly happy to hear you challenge this narrative, that it splinters people into very tight lanes. That basically alternative media as it operates now forces people to, uh, doesn't force people, but encourages people to only listen to that very narrow band of the political spectrum, in the case of news, that they agree with. Do you find that, do you think that there is a loss in terms of the breadth of your audience, the kind of debate they can have? Are they just running in one lane? You know, uh, not my audience. And I'll tell you why not my audience. I agree with that idea. I agree with that premise. Um, but I challenge my audience to think further than just even what I'm saying, um, because that's really the, the core of me is challenging everything. My uh, political science professor uh, in grad school, he was like, you just won't stop asking questions, will you? And I was like, I, I challenge everything. I said, I don't trust anything. I don't even trust myself um, until I've questioned myself. So I challenge my audience to question me, to question their own premises, their own ideas, uh, because I don't want them to come to me for confirmation bias. I want them to come for me for deeper um uh, more um, involved thinking and, and, and thought processes about the politics. Now, I mean, of course, someone is going to say, well, you're just completely biased, Benjamin Dixon. Yeah, but I'm biased because I've, I've, I've sat down and I've thought about these things and I've argued with myself. Um, I, I held a personal dialectic on these political issues and considered the left and I consider the right. And the more I consider it, the more I, I move further to the left. Now, that doesn't mean I'm going to completely dismiss something from the right as evil or or no good or they are the, the total enemy. What all that means is that I'm coming from a well thought out world view and I'm mature enough in my thinking to understand that there's probably still some more that I can learn and I'm trying to instill that in my listeners as well. Hmm. I mean that that sounds fantastic. It sounds high minded. It sounds in fact it sounds very much uh, in line with some of the things that Nirvana and I were talking about earlier in the show. Uh, what we'd like to see out of this sphere of alternative media. It also sounds like a really hard sell it yeah. also it also sounds like if you could just be you know all bernie all the time and, yep. and put clinton in prison and um you know like slice up the left into like your little piece wouldn't that be would that be an easier sell it's, it's, it, it would be infinitely easier for me right now to say um to betray what i really believe and go along with let's say bernie or bus right mm -hmm. i have nothing against bernie or bus i'm simply not bernie or bus that doesn't mean i'm going to vote for hillary clinton i think it's a very nuanced and complex com decision that everyone has to make but in terms of building my show oh god i probably could have ten thousand more subscribers right now if i went all in uh with mm. with finn hillary clinton to jail she's uh hitler's granddaughter uh, you know that kind of foolishness <laughs> um i i if i bought into that uh but then it's also from this moderate right because the the you know and, and I, I apologize for the Hitler reference. It's, it's never good to use a Hitler reference, but that's kind of the the rabid kind of approach that is really sought after on the far left. But then it also is in the center, right? If mm. I was hardcore Hillary, hardcore moderate, and I came at this trying to destroy Bernie Sanders and his followers, I could have just as many followers, if not more, doing it from mm -hmm. the the hard sell is trying to find balance and to thine own self be true because if you're true to yourself then you're going to come into uh, come to, to conflict with people who normally support you
Yeah, that's the that's the scary part about it, right? Is that is that uh, on the one hand, there's this incredible opportunity with things like YouTube live stream, where somebody like you can get on. But you know, you must constantly and and you 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 know you you describe yeah. it as fighting. You must constantly think like ah, you know, I like doing this. Maybe I could do it full time if I just uh, was not as true to myself. Uh, I'd like to kind of uh, Nirvana. You you you. I think quite rightly paralleled your blog to to Benjamin's show. Do you feel anything similar to that when when it comes to oh, talking about the Middle East? It's God. It's just the same as if he is talking about my mind. <laughs> I shared all everything. If I, it's the same as Ben. I can earn more um, followers or more subscribers if I go with certain idea and just commit to it. But I like to challenge everything. I don't like mm-hmm. to. Uh, I'm not tribal, and there is a lot of tribalism at the moment in 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 the political atmosphere everywhere not just in the middle east i have a question for ben if he allow me i know he he still doesn't decide whether he will go for barney or clinton but uh, i saw a video challenging clinton asking her whether she is progressive or moderate uh, do you consider clinton progressive or moderate I consider her moderate center right. Um, now I am a full fledged Bernie supporter. I'm I'm all open for Bernie and doing everything I can to help him win. Um, even lending my platform to him, even though I would have liked and I tried for a while to play as though I don't have a horse in this race. Um, it became necessary for me to just say, you know what, I support Bernie and I'm going to talk about Bernie on my show. In terms of Hillary Clinton, I consider her center right. Um, if you look at her policy decisions, if you look at her um, foreign policy, if you look at her economic policies, she's uh, she is center moderate right. And that's not the worst thing in the world. I think the worst thing in the world is now trying to convince progressives that we're crazy and that Hillary Clinton has been the true progressive all along. Mm-hmm. That's the sham that's being pulled on us right now. And that's one of the main reasons I just uh, lifted the veil and said, you know what? to hell with it. I'm a Bernie Sanders supporter and let me unpack all of these games and manipulations that are being played on us by the media. Do you see him have a chance to win? Um, I, you know what? It's, 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 it's a very, very difficult road at this point. He just won Indiana. It's looking good for him in West Virginia um, and California. It's going to be a really good fight. Um, but, you know, it's, he's going to have to get some superdelegates to actually make it work. It's a very difficult road. Is it possible? Uh, there's, a, there's a possibility that it could still work. Would it be in the best interest of the party, especially going up against somebody like Donald Trump? I absolutely firmly believe that Donald, uh, that Bernie Sanders is a much better candidate to run against Donald Trump than Hillary Clinton. So what happens in the in the scenario which you, you acknowledge to be more likely but not preferred to you? What what happens in this in the situation where Bernie uh, does not get through the convention uh, and we have a Clinton Trump showdown? Uh, does this uh, does this is this uh, something on which you, you again are eventually going to have to come out and pick a side? Are you going to try to play a middle road? Is is the uh, in other words, basically, clearly, if you're progressive, Clinton is closer than Trump, I think, on most issues, but not all issues. It's really complicated, right? There are certain aspects in which some of what Trump says actually is leads... more to the left. Yeah, yeah. It's more. It's, so what are you going to do? Um, you know, what? I'm going to play it issue by issue. Right. Um, I will. I, one thing I refuse to do, I, I can tell you what I'm not going to do. 
what I'm not going to do is um, run around with my hair on fire like a chicken without a head, terrified of Trump saying the world is coming to an end because Trump is running as a Republican for president and he might win. I'm not going to play into that fear card. I'm not going to say, you know, take every little thing that Trump does and make him out to be any more racist than the policies that Democrats have employed over or enacted over the last 35 years that have had very negative effects on the black community. So I'm not going to elevate a tweet over the 94 crime bill, right? So I'm not going to overreact to the fear-mongering that is being lined up by the Democratic Party against Donald Trump. Now, that being said, I don't want to see Donald Trump in the White House, right? If it's a toss-up between him and Hillary Clinton, I, you know, it's time for a woman president. That you know, let's let's have a woman president. I would prefer it not. I, I would prefer Elizabeth Warren, but I don't want to see Donald Trump get in the White House. Um, but that does not allow me to stop bringing reasoned critic cr- critique rather of Hillary Clinton. And I think that's the trap that we fall into. We make it a black and white that you know Donald Trump is evil, so Hillary Clinton must be good. No, Donald Trump has some serious issues, and he should never be the president. But Hillary Clinton's policies have some serious issues, and we need to talk about those as well. I, I want to push you further in order to sort of identify the principle. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you're making an argument here that, that given the circumstances, there is there is uh, every reason to play it as a, a reasoned commentator, as somebody who looks at the issues, goes issue by issues. Surely, though, there is a, a situation in which somebody is, is, uh, is so completely unacceptable that those principles go out the window, or is there never? In other words, is there a point at which you, as a, a member of the media, uh, Cease to have your your priority being to uh, offer the most reasoned and and thought out uh, answers. If you fear that that even leaving that little area of of gray doubt makes it more likely that a terrible terrible conclusion comes and a really awful person uh, becomes president. Like, is there a point at which you could be pushed to say, uh, you know, I would actually bracket off some of my critiques and my criticisms of Clinton because this guy is just so terrible. I think there's going to be – in, in this regard, I have the easy road. Here's the easy road, and I might take the easy road, right? I've been working hard for the last uh, year and a half. I might just take a cop out. And, if you're working for Bernie, you're working hard. <laughs> well, exactly, right? So if it comes down to, to Trump versus Clinton, tr- Clinton is going to do a hell of a job making him out to look like Lucifer incarnate, right? She's going to do a great job making him out to be as bad as he probably is. I don't know if Trump is actually as bad as he's as people are trying to make him out to be. I know that if he accomplished the things he says he wants to accomplish, that he is right. Let's right. be clear. Right. He, he wants to ex, uh, deport um, all the illegal illegal immigrants. He wants to ban Muslim immigration, and he wants to build this ridiculous wall. So if he's able to accomplish those things, then yes, he's as bad as he uh, as everyone is making him out to be. However, I don't think he's going to be able to accomplish that. It's not like a President Trump is automatically going to become a dictator and the Supreme court disappears and the Congress disappears, right? Hillary Clinton has much more capacity to the political wherewithal to achieve her policies, some of which will be damning to uh, people of color around the globe. So, you know, it's a very difficult position because you're talking about a bombastic person who wants to do the worst thing, but we do have checks and balances to buffer that against a person who's not as bombastic and very political astute, and she's very capable of accomplishing the things that, that she's not talking about right now. She's not going to run on the coup in Honduras. She's not going to run on uh, the continuation and the further expansion of President Obama's droning. She's not going to talk about those, but she has a political wherewithal 
to achieve it. And so it's like, are we are, should we be terrified of the person who's talking insanity but probably can't accomplish it because of the legality and constitutionality or someone who is very calm, collective, um, very talented and very equipped to do the job and very capable of carrying out policies that are detrimental uh, across the globe. So in that regard, I think I can take the easy road here, Matt. I can just sit back and and bring reason, critic, uh, criticism of every policy and, 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 and one thing I will do, I have absolutely no problem saying when I think Hillary Clinton is right on something. I'm not that person. I'm not the person that's going to say everything that Hillary Clinton says is wrong. No, I don't believe that. I think she's very qualified to be president. I just happen to disagree with the paradigm under which she's going to serve as president. Right? The model of the presidency right now is something that I have a personal ideological problem with. But is she qualified to do it? Absolutely. Would I rather see her than Donald Trump any day of the week? Am I going to use that as a reason to whitewash everything about Hillary Clinton and make everything about Donald Trump evil? No, because what happens, Matt, if if Donald Trump runs to the left of Hillary Clinton economically? Am I going to now destroy left-leaning economics because it's being espoused by Donald Trump and so that I can support Hillary Clinton? No, I, I can't make that flip. So I have to take it issue by issue, and I'm quite sure Donald Trump is going to give us enough material to a, to legitimately and reasoned, uh, legitimately bring reasoned critique. Hmm. I was hoping you would come on here and 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 take these 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 wild uh, irrational positions. We could have a crossfire debate. But, uh, I, I got to be honest; that sounded uh, fairly fairly well thought out. Ben, I'm pretty. It's almost like you do this uh, do this regularly for a living. Yeah. <laughs> well, I do it regularly. I don't do it for I a living. I was going to say for a living, but the very point of today's show is that you don't do it for a living necessarily. No, I know. Uh, I, no. This is a. a to pull the curtain a little bit, but are you are you at work now? I am at work right now. I'm in a quiet room in an office across from my desk. I just got off a very terrible phone call with a client, but oh, I haven't no. even I have a great phone call coming up at one o'clock. So um, it's it's a normal everyday hustle. I, I get up at five a.m. Um, my wife may let me sleep to six, and we're out the door by seven. I'm back home at six. I get in the car after I feed the kids and go to the studio, record the show. I'm home at eleven. I go to bed. And I start over all over the next day. I think we should take a moment just uh, to, to, to notice uh, and, and remark on how, how magical the world is. Just just that uh, you were able to sneak into the middle of your workday uh, yeah. a, a conversation with uh, with uh, a, a, uh, a woman sitting in the UK uh, wow. and, and uh, somebody else uh, sitting across the city. Uh, you're also in Boston, correct? Yeah, yeah, uh, across the city. So we, we get the uh, the diversity of our conversation, the geographic breadth. Uh, even if you don't like the content, just take a moment to uh, think of how amazing uh, that the three of us, how ma- amazing it is that the three of us can get together and have this conversation. Uh, I want to. I hope. I hope it's okay. I, I do want to talk about your identity position here a little bit, mm-hmm. um, it, it, and which you know as. It's the classic American disc- un- uncomfortable conversation. But yeah. what, what I want to put forth is simply that uh, the, the... I'm black. Well, yeah, right. <laughs> so you say that. That's a good start. And then I want to say that there is a, a relative dearth of uh, of commentators, uh, African-American commentators, uh, particularly uh, on the... It's not that there's so many on the right, but the left seems like it should have more based on yeah. demographics. And we see people like Melissa Harris-Perry, the, the really... Yeah 
good people disappearing left and right. Um, so I, I kind of just want to get, one, your general perspective on this, and two, do you think that your your what you're doing serves in any way as a replacement or to like push in the right direction on that issue? Hmm. On the issue of the missing black voices on the left? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know if it's going to serve that role, right? That role, um, you know, it, it's a very precarious role. It's one that is um, often used to rally the black community to their political ends. And because I don't really have the the stomach for um, – for just re- I have a stomach for enlightening people and having difficult conversations and you know mainstream re- media is really not designed for that right now and I'm not really designed to just give a, a straight message from the White House you know I'm I'm going to be the one who dissects the message and says now nah, here's the problem with it and here are the good things about it here are the bad things about it um, so I don't think that I'm equipped to fill that role um, but is that what happened to 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 your mind is that what happened to for for example, Melissa Harris Perry, who was on MSNBC. I'm which, surprised about that, right? Yeah. I'm shocked by that because she had a more she was slightly just left of President Obama, right? right she's not right. she's not far left like me. Like I, I'm almost off the charts. You know, I'm not a communist. Uh, I'm a democratic socialist, but I'm further left than than Sanders. Um, Harris Perry is is much closer to the status quo um, uh, mainstream politicians um, political ideology, right? Rather. Um, and I'm surprised that they had that run in with her. However, in the framework that I discussed with some of my more black militant friends, uh, um, you know, she no longer served a purpose for MSNBC. Neither did Al Sharpton. Neither did um, Michael Eric Dyson and Joy Reid. I know Joy Reid is back now. Um, she filled in the slot. But, you know, there was a, a specific need that they filled, which was we have a black president and here are black people to translate, you know, for, mm. for the black president. And, the, you know, they, they really didn't serve the progressive portion of their identity. They served the African-American identity politics portion. And, you know, we're in a conversation now nationally about um, class versus race and, um, and progressive economic policies. And I don't feel like any of them were really um, the spokespeople for that. I'm sure they're equipped to do it, but they weren't serving that need. Um, and I think MSNBC is – the real problem at MSNBC is that they're running away from progressivism altogether. They want to be moderate. They want to be the Hillary Clinton of the media. They have no real desire, in my honest opinion, to be to the far left, to be a counterbalance to Fox News. Fox News is rabidly conservative, and I respect them for understanding their identity, and I respect them for respecting their audience. Right. But uh, MSNBC has no desire to be the left counterbalance. I think that's the bigger problem. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's important when we talk about the the, the triumvirate, right, the MSNBC, CNN, Fox uh, mm-hmm. threesome. Right now, we sort of see them in ideological terms because that's kind of how they've market positioned themselves, Fox on the right, MSNBC on the left, CNN in the center. If you look at the history of MSNBC, uh, you actually see that it was a fight for the right against against Fox News, or at least for mm-hmm. a period of time it was. Uh, and that, in fact, none of these things, and this kind of goes to our big discussion of alternative media, none of these stations really ought to be considered ideological. Ideological. They're just mm-hmm. market-based, right? They're just finding right. a space. I don't think that MSN, if MSNBC thought there was, uh, you know, equal equal dollars uh, to the left of Hillary, I don't think they'd have any problem being there. Frankly, I think if uh, Rupert Murdoch thought that there was more money on the left than the right, then Fox News would go that way. Um, uh, 
you're you're absolutely right. There, there's just no there is no economic logic uh, uh, that keeps a voice even to the left of a pretty moderate Democrat uh, mm-hmm. available. And that 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 is a a, a real issue. I, I want to quickly just because we touched on this this uh, identity politics issue. Uh, can we can we bring you into this discussion a little bit, Nirvana, on that issue? Sorry. Uh, I mean, so you are, are, I think in some ways there's some parallels here, right? You're definitely a minority. You're in the UK. Uh, you're you're a, a Muslim. You're, you're, you're Arab. Um, but you're also kind of, uh, you, you have a, a, a strained relationship with your identity group in some ways. I, just, I was wondering, just to put in the context, uh, you know, part of what we want to do in this show is to globalize things, to recontextualize, to do some comparative analysis. Could you sure. talk a little bit about your identity position in the UK and, and how it impacts what you write and how people read you? Oh, uh, that's a huge topic, Matt. And I, uh, I will tell you what, I mean, uh, the word identity, I'm allergic to it, to be frankly honest, because mm-hmm. uh, I, I, identity for me is, is being part of a tribe or a group or a bubble. Uh, I am Muslim, but I am non-Islamist Muslim, i.e. I am a liberal Muslim who are trying to advocate reform and liberalization of Islam. And when I turn up uh, in, in Britain, Britain is slightly different than the U.S. and that there is um, a Pakistani community, a Hindu community, uh, an Arab community, and I'm not part of any of this. I'm trying to be the true multicultural person. Mm-hmm. And believe it or not, that people make people uncomfortable because they like to put you in a frame. So if you are a Muslim, then, uh, oh, then why you, are not, you, you should wear the hijab? Uh, oh, no, I'm not wearing the hijab uh, and I don't believe in it. Then people start to feel awkward. And when you start to, like... Uh, People are assume that I will support the new London mayor. I don't know whether he will is elected or not. I'm I'm not following this till the count. There is a Muslim uh, guy running for London, and there is a, a Jewish guy r- r- running against him. And people assume that I will immediately support the Muslim guy. Mm. Uh, and no, I, not because I I don't live in London. But if I I live in London, then I will look at the policy of each candidate and I will vote according to their policy, not because it happens that one of them is Muslim. And I feel this is a problem of identity, which is now in Europe, and it starts to creep to the US, uh, to be frankly honest. I Mm. don't, I mean, if someone is, I mean, I respect the black American, uh, Hispanic, Arab American, and that is a problem. No, we, everybody in America is American. Yes, fight for your community if they are discriminated against, but there are people who are using that into cliches and trying to uh, indulge in victimhood. And I'm not talking about um, America here, I'm talking about at least my part of the world in Europe. Mm. They are Arab community who are not integrating very well. And they blame all sorts of right and left and center, or they become radicalized because of A, B, C. And I, I, I feel, in, personally, I feel uneasy with this. Mm. Um, I believe that one of the things which I wish we can discuss later in, in a podcast, the failure of globalization, and that's bringing us to Trump. Trump have something right when he talk about globalization and the problem with it. I, I not necessarily agree with him, but uh, uh, and definitely don't, but I, I think it's something worth discussing. This idea of just pretend that we are multicultural because we love Indian cuisine or we love <laughs> Of uh, Mexican food, uh, <laughs> right? No. Very, very topical. Uh, Trump, Trump just yesterday uh, tweeted out an absurd uh, yeah. Cinco de Mayo 
uh, uh, image, which I'm sure you saw. I, I just want to jump in because I think you, you've stumbled, or not stumbled upon, you've driven us to uh, a really uh, fantastic... <laughs> no, no, you have. Fantastic point, Nirvana. So, so you noted that traditionally in America, uh, we at least have a rhetoric of the melting pot, right? A rhetoric yes. of that we all come together. This, this is true. It's been our rhetoric. But it's also really important to note that our media history is very different. So in the UK, when you talk about radio and television, you're talking about uh, something that was built by the government, at least in theory, was out there for everybody. It might not have represented everybody in doing so, but in theory it was. In the United States, we have been, uh, since since day one, slicing up our audience for profit purposes into smaller and smaller groups. And so the idea of having media directly geared towards an identity group is perfectly normal in the United States. It's very old. So, you know, if you look, uh, I mean, some famous examples would be like the, the black exploitation films of, of the 1970s, for example. But it's interesting, right? Because you, you, you point that culturally sort of our rhetoric goes one way, but our media system kind of goes the other. When you put things in market terms, that often also drives it towards these sort of tribalistic little chunks. I mean, I, I think we'll, we'll maybe have to just uh, wrap up here. And, and hopefully this isn't, I mean, you don't know the answer to this question. Do you think that your, your, your listeners, Ben, are, are disproportionately African-American? And do you think that has to be the case. Oh no! I think um, actually I have some pretty good demographics. Uh, oh, good. <laughs> look good. on demographics. I have a very large white um, audience, um, and I think it really intersects more with my progressive politics mm-hmm. and my ability to call out black journalism, but uh, black journalists rather who have used identity politics as a wedge issue to keep us from discussing class issues uh, in this election. Really, this narrative that they've woven that Bernie Sanders has a race problem. Um, that um, because I saw the game that was being played um, that um, I was able to dissect it and unpack it and that brought a lot of uh, white people to me because they probably weren't equipped to carry that message and so they appreciated the fact that I was able to dissect it and and simultaneously for me and for my black audience I to my own self be true right so it's it's, it's this um, it's this conflation it's this intersection rather of being true to who I am as an african-american as well as being true to my political ideology which sometimes brings me into conflict with everybody black mm. people white people progressives and democrats you know i i think i have more enemies than i have friends right now and um you know i think that's part of telling the truth that happens. i can relate to that ben i can yeah. relate to that uh, one more question if i may be quickly before we finish would you be happy to host a trump supporter on your host on your program oh, yeah oh. absolutely i love like some of my favorite episodes are when i w- was having a debate or just even a conversation um with conservatives so yeah I- i'd glad gladly talk in and have a conversation with any of them all right so um a jew a muslim and a, a christian do a podcast and it comes yeah. out comes out not too bad um <laughs> that's great that's it, yeah. Not it, the, the, there's no real punchline because I think I think it, it flowed pretty nicely. Ben, I, I just want to uh, thank you so much for for not only taking time in general, but for also stealing your employer's time. Uh, and <laughs> well, I was on my lunch break, so we're good. I <laughs> didn't mean to accuse you. I didn't mean to accuse you. Uh, no, it's really uh, it, it was wonderful to to be able to find a time to have a discussion with with uh, with with the three of us. Um, ben, you're doing really good work on on the show. Uh, if you're out there, it's uh, you can just Google the Benjamin Dixon show if you want to follow Ben on Twitter. Twitter, it's at the BPD show. Is that right? That's correct. At yeah. the BPD show. Uh, 
Follow him on Twitter. Watch his show on, on YouTube. Uh, if uh, if you want to reach out to him, uh, you know, I'm sure. Uh, I think I, I think I actually heard you say you actually read your mentions. Is that correct, Ben? Oh yeah, yeah. I read my mentions. I read That's my comments crazy. on YouTube, and um, I, I get a kick out of them. That's very rare that any of them, the most repugnant tweets or messages it's rare that any of them get under my skin because if you if you can handle the calls that i just got through handling mm. you can handle anything so, so no but this is great that means if you, if you especially if you listen to the whole episode uh feel free to reach out reach out to ben he actually yep. he actually will read the at mentions uh you can follow me at media studied you can follow nirvana at N-E-R-V-A-N-A underscore one. Uh, honestly, if you made it through this whole podcast, not that it would, would have been such a struggle, but if you, you spent the time with us, uh, do give, give a follow at least to Nirvana uh, and Ben. They're excellent on Twitter. Find us on iTunes, rate and review us there. Tell your friends. Uh, we, we want feedback, right? We don't want feedback uh, for any material reason. We want feedback to know how to make the show better uh, and to know who, who we're talking to. So again, Nirvana, Ben, thanks so much for coming on and we'll, we'll be back next Thank you.